Hello, it's Friday, July 2nd. I'm Daniel Williams, and this is the MGMA Week in Review, where each week we bring you some of the most important, interesting, and inspiring stories happening in healthcare leadership and medical practices today. We begin this week with an article on attracting top talent. This article appeared on MGMA.com. Luring patients back to medical practices is no longer one of the top concerns for practice administrators. Instead, it's bringing highly qualified staff on board to serve them. As more healthcare organizations fully recover visit volumes to pre-pandemic levels, and doctors are working more hours than ever, it's likely that more health systems and groups will look to add nursing staff and other positions in an increasingly competitive market that has seen difficulty in keeping pace with demand. Even before COVID-19, the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics estimated about 15% growth in healthcare occupations from 2019 to 2029, or roughly 2.4 million new jobs, with numerous clinical staff positions outpacing average estimated growth for all industries. For instance, medical assistant job growth is estimated at 19% from 2019 to 2029. Nursing job growth is estimated at 45% and registered nurse job growth is estimated at about 7%. The market for non-clinical staff also shifted in the past year, with more healthcare organizations competing for billers and coders who can work remotely. This has led to many medical practices taking a renewed look at benefits packages, as revealed in a June 8th MGMA stat poll but there's another potential incentive that proves enticing for many would-be employees, cash in the form of a sign-on bonus. A June 22nd MGMA stat poll found that 33% of medical practices have added or expanded bonuses to recruit staff this year, while another 9% are considering it. By most accounts, the COVID-19 pandemic stifled what was a considerable upward trend in compensation for nurses and medical assistants in recent years. The recently released 2021 MGMA Data Dive Management and Staff Compensation found minimal changes in median total compensation for licensed practical nurses, registered nurses, and MAs versus 2019 levels. However, the five-year trends for those same positions found gains of more than 11% for LPNs, 13% for RNs, and 12% for MAs, as well as 26% growth for triage nurses. These compensation gains are likely the byproduct of looming M&A and RN shortages. A May 4th MGMA stat poll found that 88% of healthcare leaders report difficulty in recruiting MAs, with the pandemic posing a hurdle in finding qualified candidates. A registered nursing.org report based on a 2017 National Center for Health Workforce Analysis 
points to California, Texas, and New Jersey facing the largest difference between supply and demand of RNs by 2030. Whereas Florida, Ohio, and Virginia are projected to have a surplus of RNs in their markets. Nursing colleges are reporting insufficient faculty, sites, and or classroom space to manage the number of qualified applicants for bachelor and graduate nursing programs, according to the American Association of Colleges of Nursing. In Georgia, one of the state's largest health systems, Piedmont Healthcare, is reportedly offering bonuses of up to $30,000 for experienced registered nurses and other financial incentives for various high demand positions, such as respiratory therapist. There are obvious issues with using bonuses as a recruitment tool, starting with financial viability. However, if a local market has grown more competitive and put pressure on a practice to increase wages, a sign-on bonus can be one method to avoid a compression effect. Practice leaders also should consider using additional paid time off for senior staff or determining a flat cost of living wage adjustment. Another approach would be to find non-clinical staff to assist with tasks such as rooming patients, according to Andrew Haiti, Assistant Director of Association Content at MGMA. But a longer term solution would involve going out to nursing schools and other training organizations to establish a feeder program that brings new staff into your organization regularly. Our ability at MGMA to provide great resources, education, and advocacy depends on a strong feedback loop with healthcare leaders. So to be part of this effort, sign up for MGMA STAT and make your voice heard in our weekly polls. Sign up by texting STAT to 33550 or visit mgma.com STAT. Polls will be sent to your phone via text message. Our next article this week deals with surprise medical bills. On July 1st, the Biden-Harris administration, through the U.S. Departments of Health and Human Services, Labor and Treasury, and the Office of Personnel Management, issued requirements related to surprise billing part one. It's an interim final rule that will restrict excessive out-of-pocket costs to consumers from surprise billing and balance billing. Surprise billing happens when people unknowingly get care from providers that are outside of their health plan's network and can happen for both emergency and non-emergency care. Balance billing, when a provider charges a patient the remainder of what their insurance does not pay, is currently prohibited in both Medicare and Medicaid. This rule will extend similar protections to Americans insured through employer-sponsored and commercial health plans. No patient should forego care for fear of surprise billing, said HHS Secretary Becerra. Health insurance should offer patients peace of mind that they won't be saddled with unexpected costs. The Biden-Harris administration remains committed to ensuring transparency and affordable care, and with this rule, Americans will get the assurance 
of no surprises, Becerra added. Among other provisions from this week's interim final rule, it bans surprise billing for emergency services. Emergency services, regardless of where they are provided, must be treated on an in-network basis without requirements for prior authorization. It bans high out-of-network cost sharing for emergency and non-emergency services. Patient cost sharing, such as coinsurance or a deductible, cannot be higher than if such services were provided by an in-network doctor. And any coinsurance or deductible must be based on in-network provider rates. It bans out-of-network charges for ancillary care, like an anesthesiologist or assistant surgeon at an in-network facility in all circumstances. And finally, it bans other out-of-network charges without advance notice. Healthcare providers and facilities must provide patients with a plain language consumer notice explaining that patient consent is required to receive care on an out-of-network basis before that provider can bill at the higher out-of-network rate. According to the release, these provisions will provide patients with financial peace of mind while seeking emergency care, as well as safeguard them from unknowingly accepting out-of-network care and subsequently incurring surprise billing expenses. To keep up with the latest on regulatory and advocacy news, go to mgma.com advocacy. I'll leave you this week with an article from the Harvard Business Review on why you may actually wanna go back to the office. With vaccines becoming more widespread in some regions, many offices are opening their doors to allow or require workers to return but plenty of employees aren't eager to go back. At the University of Texas, many faculty and staff have expressed that they've been productive working from home, that they've enjoyed it, and that they hope to continue doing much, if not all, of their work remotely. It's easy to see why many people prefer working from home. Commuting, which has long been known as one of the biggest joy killers for workers, has been eliminated. It makes it easier for people to choose the hours they want to work and to schedule their work time around other responsibilities like childcare. For many, the personal drawbacks, such as difficulties in maintaining work-life balance, pale in comparison to these benefits. So when leaders start talking about getting people to return to the office, it's natural for many employees to resist. The central problem is that many of the benefits of working from home are good for the individual, whereas many of the benefits of working from the office are good for the organization and affect the individual more indirectly. If you're dreading going back to the office, it might help to have a reminder of how in-person work can actually benefit you, not just your company. Here are three ways the office can make your working life easier. The first is culture. It's hard to start a brand new job remotely. We learn how to navigate a workplace's culture by watching other people and how they interact. 
remote onboarding can be particularly difficult for people who are fairly new to the working world and transitioning from school to a job. They don't get the opportunity to just see how work works. In general, new employees who work remotely are likely to find it harder to get things done. If you can't watch what people are doing and if others can't notice when you're struggling, then everything about the job has to be taught more explicitly. Most organizations aren't great at this and still rely on new hires gleaning a lot of what they need to know from their interactions with colleagues. And even longtime employees may not be aware of what needs to be taught. The second factor is collaboration. It's harder for institutional knowledge to make its way around in a remote environment. A lot of information sharing happens through short, informal conversations between people over the course of a normal workday. Working from home requires that every interaction be scheduled or take place over text. That extra effort can make people less likely to ask quick questions or share something that they've just learned informally than if everyone was working together, especially considering the phenomenon of Zoom fatigue. The physical workplace enables moments of serendipity that can move projects along. You might bump into a colleague while thinking about a problem and ask a question that leads to a new and surprising solution. Maybe you grab a cup of coffee with a few coworkers and that leads to a new product or service. Or you notice a colleague struggling with a task and you give them some tips that save a lot of time. We may not miss those moments when they're not happening, but they can have a significant positive impact on our individual success, not just the success of the company. And finally, purpose. Another benefit of spending time with colleagues in the office is that it reinforces the sense that you share a common mission. The phenomenon of goal contagion is a reflection that when you observe the actions of other people, you often adopt their same goals. Being around a group of people who are working toward a common mission reinforces that goal in everyone in the workplace. When people feel connected to the mission of the organization, it improves their overall satisfaction with their work. Believing in what the organization wants to accomplish reinforces that sense that a job is a vocation or a calling and not just a way to earn a paycheck. Keep up with the latest industry news by subscribing to the MGMA Insights newsletter at mgma.com slash insights newsletter. If you have a healthcare story you want to share with us, email us at podcast at mgma.com. This has been the MGMA Week in Review. I'm Daniel Williams. Thanks and have a great weekend.